Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. The entire family of legendary Dookie Chase Restaurant in New Orleans is hard at work these days, maintaining and growing the legacy began by Emily and Dookie Chase Sr. on Orleans Avenue in New Orleans. Founded in 1941, the place where Leah Chase established herself as the queen of Creole cuisine is one of the most iconic restaurants in New Orleans and in the nation. Now, the crew, who Leah always referred to as the Grands, are debuting their own TV series, produced locally by WYES-TV and airing on PBS affiliates throughout the country. For this momentous occasion, we sat down with the Grands at the restaurant during the taping of the Dookie Chase Kitchen, Leah's Legacy. On this week's show, we'll hear not only those young, ambitious voices, but we've gone back to our archives for material that never previously aired. So start making a roux. We've got the Chase family in the house for this week's Louisiana Eats. Before she passed away in 2019 at the age of 96, we were honored to feature my friend Leah Chase as a reoccurring guest on Louisiana Eats. Given Leah's busy work schedule at Dookie Chase, we typically recorded interviews with her in one of the restaurant's dining rooms during those rare free moments between lunch and dinner service. Leah shared stories and imparted her wisdom on topics ranging from food to art, civil rights history to Hurricane Katrina. In what would be the final years of her life, Leah invited us and our microphones into Dookie Chase two last times, once in 2015 and again in 2016, shortly after the death of her husband, Edgar Dookie Chase Jr. In both interviews, Leah shared wide-ranging reflections on her life, marriage, family, and her legacy. Here are some highlights from those conversations, beginning with Leah discussing her childhood growing up on a strawberry farm in Madisonville, Louisiana. You know, I came up with all girls, you know that. My mother had 14 children. My mother had a dozen girls before she had a boy. So we came up with girls, and we were not raised like little ladies. My daddy was rough on us, he made us do. He used to always say, because you're a girl, it doesn't mean that you can't do this. You, you can do anything you want to do. You just have to work at it. And his big thing was work. He said, work never killed anybody. 
so you have to work at what you want. So I came up really being hard, being tough, being able to to take care of myself and take care of things, because that's the way I was brought up. Well, did you all actually farm strawberries? Uh, we had 15 acres. So when the berries came, you got up in the morning at four o'clock in the morning, get out and pick those strawberries, 15 acres, come back home, get dressed, and go to school. And don't bring back a 75 on your report card. You better bring it back a 90 or 100. They won't tolerate nothing else. That was the light. They help you with your homework at night by the lamplight. I remember my dad it was a stickler for numbers. You had to learn your times table. You had to learn those tables because he said, you got to learn how to count because if you don't know how to count, you make any money, people going to take your money. <laughs> He was a stickler for us learning as much as we could learn, reading, he'd tell you, listen to your mother now. In 1945, Leah met big band leader Edgar Dookie Chase Jr., whose parents operated a simple sandwich shop named for Dookie's father in New Orleans' Treme neighborhood. The families were almost all alike. You know, all the so-called Creoles of color lived almost the same kind of life. You know, they worked every day, they cooked, they sewed, and that's what I did, sewed more than cooked. I, I didn't start cooking until I came in this restaurant. My mother-in-law was, she was a nice lady, and she always said, Leah, you're just like me. What she meant was our lifestyles were like, she loved this business, I loved this business. She truly loved her husband, and I truly loved Dookie, even though, well, Dookie didn't go like his daddy, you know. He was never a man to go out. His daddy liked to go, not drink, because Big Dookie, from the day I knew him, he couldn't drink because he had ulcers so bad. So he would go and he would gamble. Couldn't gamble either. <laughs> Gamblers don't lose all their money. He was losing all his. And my mother-in-law would never complain. Big Dookie would go on Rampart Street and play cards and lose the money. She didn't say nothing. Okay, she'd work hard, rustle, raise some more money, you know. <laughs> That's the way she was. She never was angry at him, and I couldn't figure out why you don't get mad at him. But she never did. But so, and then Dookie went on with his music, and it just went on from there. We just started. Then his daddy died. His daddy was a young man. His daddy was only 57 years old. Wow. And when Big Dookie died, well, my mother-in-law had nobody else. So he had to come in here and work. He didn't really have a choice. It was what he had he to had do. He had no choice. It's what he had to do. I always felt sorry for Dookie because I like what I do. You I love, love what you I do. I love what I do. <laughs> I love, always loved this restaurant. When I worked in the French quarters, I said, oh, I wish I had this. You know, I would wish I had a restaurant. I, so here I'm in one, and I, I was happy, because that's what I really liked to do. But he didn't like that at all. 
He just did what he had to do. But he did it for the family. He, he did, did it, it for, for the fa mother. Family was big for him. Family was always important to him. And he did it for the family, and he did it well. He did well. He worked this bar. I'll never forget, I used to sew a lot. So I would make Dookie the prettiest brocaded vest to work in and had his bow tie, and he always wore a shirt and a tie. He could make you the best drink you ever drank. What used to get me with Dookie, he'd order a drink, and he would ask you, is it for a lady or a man? I said, Dookie, ladies drink the same dumb things men drink, don't they? So he wanted the ladies to have something soft and nice and sweet, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna make it a little sweeter if it's a lady. And that's where, you know, and I drink, I came up drinking, well, not, we all drank, but we didn't over drink. <laughs> and I came up drinking I.W. Harper, and well, you give me my bourbon and seven up, and I'm happy. No, why don't you drink like other ladies drink? Why don't you drink a, a pink squirrel and, oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> he could run that bar. Then he ran this, he took a course by mail from Cornell University. I'll never forget that. Did well with that. Learned how to manage this business, learn all that. But just by that course he took by mail. And he did well. Whatever he did, he really did it well, but he did not like it. You know, when I came along, this is not what I came to do. I came to push him up and ride his coattail. But he wasn't that way. So I had to push out. I had to go push out, do what I had to do to make it. But that was really never what I thought. I thought I'd push Dickie up and I'd be Mrs. Chase on his coattail. But it just turned backwards. It went the other way. But I know he was very proud of you. And he was. He was. Did. And he was good to us. And he would always say, we have good children. He said, Leo, we have good children, good children. I said, we do, and his thing was always to take care of his family. Well, the one thing I know is that you and Mr. Chase produced such an amazing clan. You had four children, three survived, <laughs> and from those three surviving children and Emily who passed. 26 great-grands. 26 great-grands and how many grands? 16 grands. You see, those 16 grandchildren are all grown. They're all grown, they're all educated now and everything. So, and they have their children, but it's those great-grands that are, whoo, whoo. And not only with them, Poppy, I see everybody with little children today. Those little children are so smart. They know everything. They come here moving their fingers. Oh, yeah. So if you put something in front of them, they're moving their <laughs> fingers. They come here moving their fingers on the computers and all that. So they're gonna be really powerhouses if somebody just, if they just had good leaders, good teachers, good parents, those children gonna be a mighty generation. He 
if you don't make a difference, you're wasting your time. You know, you can earn all the money in the world, darling. But if you don't make a difference in this world you live in, you're wasting your time. You've got to make a difference and help somebody else along the way. That's not as hard as it sounds, but it's not. sometimes it, but it gets a little It takes a long time sometimes to figure that out. It does. You're human. You're human. You can't just do everything overnight. It takes a while. Everything is according to time. So you do the best you can do, and then somebody else will carry it on. And you don't get angry. You can say, I started this. So what? You started it. Mm. But somebody had to finish it. Yeah. So sometimes you might start a thing, and somebody builds on it. And that's what life is all about. That was the late Leah Chase speaking with us at Dookie Chase Restaurant in New Orleans. Those excerpts were taken from two conversations we had with her, one in 2015 and the other following the death of her husband, Edgar Dookie Chase Jr. in 2016. Leah passed away in 2019 at the age of 96. Coming up next, we meet some of the younger generations of the Chase family who are continuing Leah's legacy today. But first, did Leah Chase ever write a cookbook? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways, Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923 now celebrating their centennial by donating one million bowls of beans to Second Harvest Food Bank. What a way to say thank you to the community they call home. To learn more and view the new video by award-winning documentary filmmaker Joe York, visit CamelliaBrand.com. This week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Did Leah Chase ever write a cookbook? Oh, yes, she did. Originally published in 1990, 
the Dookie Chase cookbook is being reissued with updates from Edgar Dook Chase IV. This new book will act as a companion piece to the TV series, The Dookie Chase Kitchen, Leah's Legacy, debuting now on PBS affiliates across the United States. I'm Poppy Tooker, and anything the Chase family ever cooks up are real Louisiana Eats. Since her passing in 2019, Leah's legacy lies in the hands of her children and grandchildren, who she always referred to as the grands, and also with some great-grands who have recently joined the family business. During the taping of their new PBS series, The Dookie Chase Restaurant, Leah's Legacy, Louisiana Eats stopped by to speak with some of the younger generations of the Chase family. The first to join us was Grand Tracy Heidel Griffin. You may have met Tracy at the front door of Dookie Chase or in the context of her work with the Edgar and Leah Chase Family Foundation. Tracy, your mother was my friend Leah's cooking daughter. That's always how she described her to me, Emily. How old were you when you all lost your mama? I was 17, but even at the age of 17, I had the opportunity to watch, of course, my grandmother and my mother, you know, do their thing. Um, the joy that they had working together um, in the kitchen, working and planning, you know, menus and greeting the guests and the joy of listening to them talk about the upcoming catering events and how they wanted to set up and decorate so all the particular things they liked and uh, look forward to doing for each of their guests was something I could experience in watching them. Did you ever think that you were going to end up here working at the restaurant? No, because if you know me, you know I was, um, I was special, <laughs> a little stubborn, <laughs> you know, a little, you, you know, as teenagers would be, right? So, you know, from the lens of a 17-year-old, of course, you're like, oh, this is beautiful to witness a mother-daughter relationship, a, a mother-father uh, relationship, because mother, of course, was working with uh, both of her parents and even her grandmother. My great-grandmother, uh, Emily Chase, um, was, you know, still here and working. So that was just an interesting dynamic, a loving family business dynamic to witness. But at 17, you don't really get to take it all in and envision, and envision yourself um, in that. You didn't set out to originally work in the restaurant. How did you end up being here? Well, I didn't set out, but, you know, everybody's life is colorful with stories and um, unique. Um, my profession is that of a nurse in a public health um, administrator. And so I did those things in Texas and Alabama for quite some time. And my husband um, had the opportunity to return to New Orleans uh, to serve in a, a leadership role in health administration and reestablishing health care in the city, 
post-Katrina. And so that opportunity brought us home. I was still doing things in the area health-wise, public health-wise. But then, of course, you see that there's a need, um, and not necessarily a need because you do know my grandmother and my grandfather, and you know how they were. (laughs) Um, So a need wasn't there, but there was an opportunity to support. And um, I just, you know, started making myself available to support them, to um, making sure the things they still wanted to happen at the restaurant happened. For instance, you know, um, grandmother loved welcoming all of her guests, right? She, you know, there was joys in the pot, but there was the reward of greeting and seeing everyone's smiling face as they came in. And it became to a point where she couldn't easily walk around the dining room as she had loved and hoped and and wished to do for. And she couldn't keep a watchful eye, right? And so I became one of those family members, because certainly it's, I'm not unique in this role of being in here in the business, but I became one of those family members that would help give her a watchful eye of the front of the house, give her feedback on the guests that were dining so she can say, well, you tell them to come see me in the kitchen. You know, that (laughs) report would happen. So, you know, my role was really to focus on making sure people were receiving the welcome, the service, and the experience that she desired them to have. So I just started lending myself um, to more of support in the front of the house. Because when I was in high school and college, I was the hostess with the mostest. <laughs> As my grandfather would tease and say, oh, here comes the hostess with the mostest. I think that was for me to rise to the occasion. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, every day there's always, there's something um, in here that gives us poise or a reason to um, reflect in appreciation, you know, for what, what everything they did. Every day there's something. That was Tracy Heidel Griffin of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Next, we meet the freshest face at Dookie Chase, 22-year-old sous chef Zoe Chase. I began my conversation with Zoe by asking about her earliest memories of her great-grandmother and the family's world-renowned establishment. I think my earliest memories is being maybe, I want to say, five years old, and we would always come in a restaurant, and we would always run up and down, and we would always go to the bar because they had the glass bottle root beers, and we (laughs) loved those root beers. So we would open up those root beers. We would steal a bunch of the machino cherries, and Grandmother Chase would be like, stop running in the kitchen, stop running in the kitchen. (laughs) And whenever she wasn't looking, we'd snag a piece of chicken, and, you know, it was always so fun growing up in a restaurant because there was always good food to eat. Um, and, you know, I didn't really understand the huge legacy until I got older. You know, being younger, I just thought, oh, my family owns a restaurant and it's good food and that's really really much it. But growing up and you know, learning about Grandmother Chase and all the amazing things that she did. I'm like, wow, you know, it's 
such a restaurant filled of a bunch of history and I'm just so grateful to learn about it and to be here every day and just soak up so much knowledge that I can. Zoe, when did you get the call to the stove? When did you decide that food was going to be your life? Right, so right out of a year at college, I was at University of Lafayette, and I was so homesick, so I came back home, and I attended the University of New Orleans. And I was doing that, and I'm just like, well, I don't know if this is for me. You know, I was going to do education, and I always loved to cook. Growing up, we would cook at home. My mom wasn't a big cook at all, so me and my sister really had to learn, okay, if we want a home-cooked meal, we'll cook it and stuff. And um, I decided that I didn't want to attend college anymore. So I started working at my uncle's restaurant in the airport. And it was funny, actually, I was going to be a hostess. And I did hostessing for one day and I was like, oh, this is too much, I can't do it. I was like, just put me in the kitchen. So I started working in the kitchen and we were pumping out gallons of gumbo, gallons of jambalaya. And I'm like, wow, like I could actually do this. And everybody was trying to like, oh, it's so delicious. And I was like, well, I always love to cook and my family has this great restaurant. I'm like, maybe this is where I need to be. So I was working at the airport. And then in 2019, coming up on 2020, I started working every Friday nights at the restaurant because I wanted to see what they were doing over here as well. So then COVID hit and the airport completely shut down. And I think maybe I was off for a month and I got a call from my aunt Tracy and she said, we're gonna do takeout and we're gonna open the restaurant back up. Would you like to come? I said, of course. So for, what was that? Maybe four months we did strictly takeout and we were also doing family meals for you know people who were struggling during COVID. And it was really such a great time. You know, I learned a bunch of new recipes. I got to cook, you know, all the favorite recipes Grandmother Chase cooked. And I think it really, COVID really happened for a reason to place me at the restaurant full time. Cause the airport was closed, I think for a, a whole year. So I couldn't go back to the airport. And then when the airport reopened, I think maybe I went for maybe two weeks, but it wasn't the same anymore. And I think I needed to be at the restaurant more. And, you know, we were opening up dining. So there was new things to add on the menu and create. So I was so blessed to be at the restaurant and continue to learn new things. And then in 2021, I applied to go to Noki and I got in and I did that for six months and then I graduated culinary school. Oh mm-hmm. my, yeah. so you did get that culinary school. What yes. a wonderful experience that yeah. was at the New Orleans Culinary and it Hospitality was, Institute. Right. It was amazing. I learned so much. Um, Chef Rebecca, who was my teacher, an amazing teacher. And it was just such a great opportunity because I had my knowledge of authentic Creole food, but I also got to learn, you know, Asian food, different cultures. I got to learn all these different flavors, and then I could bring it back to the restaurant and try new dishes. So it was a great experience. So you talked about Mm -hmm. all those great different new cuisines Mm -hmm. that you learned at Noki. Mm -hmm. Are you by any chance putting your stamp 
on the food here? Yes, well, I actually, um, I had a special dinner, my coming out dinner, and I was so excited because I got to create a five-course meal. The first course was a seafood stew, and then I had a uh, cod fish cake with a citrus chive verblanc sauce, a slow-roasted lamb shank with a celery puree, and I drizzled that with the lamb shank reduction, and then I had a deconstructed cheesecake, and it really was a crowd pleaser. Everybody was so excited that the legacy was continuing, and it just made me more excited to create more new dishes and to showcase myself off to the world. That was sous chef Zoe Chase, the newest addition to the Chase Family Kitchen. Coming up next, our conversation with the Chase family continues as we meet granddaughter Eve Marie Heidel, the magical mixologist of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, plan to stay, play, and get away on the Louisiana North Shore this spring. Discover the bounty of the bayou and rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers, and creative mixologists. To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter and a world away. If you're just joining us, on this week's show, we're hearing from the newest generation of Dookie Chase Restaurant, the crew who are building on the legacy of icons Leah and her husband, Edgar Dookie Chase Jr. Eve Marie Heidel didn't originally aspire to be in the restaurant business. Like her grandmother Leah would say, we educate our children right out of the restaurant. Eve Marie went to college, got a degree, and moved right into the corporate world. But after her grandmother's death, she opted to join the family business, working behind the bar while maintaining her corporate career. 
we began our conversation with her earliest memories of grandmother's restaurant. It's funny, I laugh sometimes because I feel like I went all, all the places I've gone and I've just ended up right back here with this little pad and pencil um, <laughs> in, you know, it, at the same spot, you know, just running around here as a little kid as business is bustling and the wait staff is moving around. I'm just this little runt running around and I would go find a pencil and a pad to act like I'm working. I would sit at the end of the bar and mess with Miss Lydia um, or Miss Joyce who was still there running the bar. So it was just watching my grandfather at the time uh, was, was running, managing the, the bar. So I watch him make drinks and um, it's just being around the business. And then as soon as I could, we were my grandmother would put you to work. So you were washing dishes and you were um, bussing tables. And then when you were able, you were waiting on tables. And so that's just the, the tenure of, of being in the family. <laughs> Did you ever get to stir the pots? Were you ever in the no, kitchen with them? No, she would send me out. Go go speak to my guests. Go take care of my, my, my people. Um, <laughs> she didn't trust a lot of us back there, but she would go come taste. And I'm like, Grandmother, I have come on, I gotta fit my clothes. So I would joke, you know, I gain weight just from my family owning a restaurant because I have to taste everything, right? Goodness knows, you certainly didn't grow up thinking that you'd find a place here. No, not at all. My degree is in accounting, um, and so I was in accounting and finance. And my professional life, I've spent about 16 years currently in broadcast technology. So I work for uh, Warner Brothers Discovery as a business operations analyst. So I'm in the background of portfolio management and forecasting and budgets for big broadcasts like CNN sets and designs and servers and whatever it is to put TV on air, that's what I, my group touches. It's funny, I went to Atlanta to work my corporate job, but I got bored as a financial analyst at Turner Studios about 15 years ago and I said, hey, I wanna go, I miss hospitality, let me, I always like the bar. Let me go see what, what's, what's happening. So when I was there, that's why I went to bartending school. I just signed up for an evening class for a month, and I would go after work, and I would call home, and I called my grandfather, Grand D. Uh, Grand D, okay, you might have known what you were doing. You might be smart, because we have this banter with my grandfather. He would go, I'm, he's smarter than everybody. He was very highly intelligent. Most musicians are, right? But he's very smart. Um, but that was a banter we had with him. Oh, granddaughter, you're not smart. You're not smarter than me. And so when I realized growing up watching him make these cocktails and me go to bartending school, I was like, he really didn't know what he was doing because I had no idea why he was mixing or why he was stirring certain drinks or why you build it that way until, you know, I'm sitting in class. And I'm like, oh, he did know what he was doing. So I had to call and tell him that he knew what he was doing. And then eventually we did work on the cocktail menu together, um, you different did. projects. The two of you all mm -hmm. did get to work on that together. I remember clear as day sitting at my desk and my boss is on the other side of the wall. He's listening to this conversation with my grandfather and I'm talking about like bitters and bourbon and my, my boss comes like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm talking to my grandfather about me. I'm in here. Oh, you know, I just it keeps me busy and kept me on my toes and, um, you know, kept me in the industry while being in corporate America, a corporate life, as you would say. So how did it happen that you came to work in this capacity with the family? What happened? Um, I was ready for a change. You know, I was ready to come home and I was talking to my grandmother about it for a long time. And 
she knew my interest with bars. We would have conversations about the women that ran bars, you know, here around New Orleans, a lot of the neighborhood bars. There were women that ran those bars and the service that they would provide. But, you know, talking to her about that and it was something that I really wanted to do, I just didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, and after my grandmother passed, I was driving home. After I was driving to Atlanta and I was like, I got to get back to work, dogs in the back of the car. And I think I got to Mobile and I was like, I'm going the wrong way. This is not where I want to go. I don't want to live here anymore. I want to be home. I want to give a gift to my family. You know, I know there's huge shoes that we're all trying to fill. So that was the moment when I was like, I got to have to go home. So from that point, I kept, um, I was just, you know, talking to my family and trying to figure out how it was going to transition. I would fly in town and I met with Aunt Stella and, of course, talking daily to my sister. And you know, she said, don't make a hasty decision, you know, just... It's a lot of work. I'm here every day. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And so it's, it is a sacrifice, but um, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to come back to give a skill or a talent to the family that's given me so much. So we know that you had this big career um, behind <laughs> the cameras behind in the, the camera. business professional side of the industry. Tell me about now that you're stepping in front of the cameras yourself. Well, um, it's exciting. I have no idea what this is going to be and how it's going to turn out, but I'm, I'm just, you know, honored and privileged to have the opportunity. And I just absolutely feel like it's my grandmother. So I just go with it. I'm just, go, you know, she would say, go, be, go with it and be yourself. So, you know, shake the nerves off because I'm not a in front of the camera person. I love being behind the camera. I like just you know, shenanigans and clowning with people behind the bar, not so much presentation style, but it'll be fun. Um, I think it's, I've grown so much just taking on this role and coming to the family, learned so much, grown so much. So this is just another challenge, another chapter. We'll see where it goes. That was Eve Marie Heidel, magical mixologist at Dookie Chase Restaurant. Next, we speak with executive chef Dookie Chase IV. Like his cousin Eve Marie, Dook IV pursued a bachelor's degree followed by a master's in business administration and was a rising star on Entergy's corporate ladder before the lure of the kitchen called him. Leah was pleased as punch to have Duc graduate from the Cordon Bleu in Paris before joining her in the family business. We began by reminiscing about his grandmother, my beloved friend, Leah Chase. Oh, Duc, how we all do miss grandmother, don't we? Oh, certainly, certainly. She's still here with us, watching us, though. Oh, I know she is. I can feel that. What are your earliest memories, Duke, of the restaurant? Oh, man, so many. Uh, just growing up and running around this place like it was my own playground, really. We would run up and down uh, the kitchen to the front takeout in the bar by my grandfather. You know, Mama, my grandfather's mother, was still living at the time in her office, and that was the best because... In her office, she would count uh, the money, right, but the coins, and she would, we believe, did it on purpose. She would drop a quarter and a dime and a nickel, and when she was finished, 
She'll say, all right, y'all could go in and whatever you find, you keep as yours. <laughs> so we always had fun going in there and scrounging for a quarter, a nickel, a dime here and there. Well, you were on that fast track corporate ladder climbing successfully. And then you kind of changed your mind. Tell me about how things changed. Yeah, so I, I did. I was, I was still at Entergy and um, Katrina hits, right? And, and that wipes out this whole city. And we were in Baton Rouge, and I still was commuting back and forth to Hammond because we, Entergy, relocated some of us in Hammond to continue to work. And uh, what you saw in my grandparents was the passion to get back to work, right? Katrina hits when Baton Rouge, and they're like, we got to get going tomorrow. Let's get it back open. And you're talking about someone who's 78, 79 at the time, my grandfather's in his mid-70s, and their passion and, and willingness to get back, but they needed help. And that really changed my trajectory of what I really wanted to do as a career. I said, you know what? Let's focus on getting this restaurant back together. So I came back and we started to do that. And then just for me and my goals is I like to learn everything about the restaurant business. Although I grew up cooking with my grandmother, I wanted that formal training. She wanted me to have that formal training. Uh, so I, I went off to culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, France. And then I came back and never left. Oh, she was so proud of you. <laughs> she was so proud of you when you came back. I think, in fact, there were all sorts of fancy, exotic things that one might never have seen on the menu here at Dookie Chase that she just went right along with because you wanted to do it. What, where are some examples of where perhaps your cooking began to interject itself, and what did she have to say about that? Yeah, yeah you know, my grandmother gave us, you know, a, a playground to experiment any creative thoughts that we had on the plate, and, and sort of that coming from Paris, and, and our cuisines are, are similar, uh, just a tad bit different, but they got a lot of similarities, especially in the foundation of it. Uh, so, of course, you're in culinary school and me thinking big head, you know, duck a la range and all this other <laughs> stuff. Uh, I come back and trying to do some things here. And she, you know, she let me do it and, and we played it up and people enjoyed it. But I will say, you know, the great things that we're able to hear to do at Dookie Chase and I think what people appreciate most. And I'm always excited to hear when they say that this gumbo tastes the same as when I was a child. This dish tastes the same as when I was a child. So that means that generational shift of those recipes in different hands in the pot, somehow we would manage to keep that consistent. So when people think of this restaurant, certainly we'll have Friday specials where we can be creative and, and put something new out there. But the classics are the classic, and they consistently the classics from generation on down, which is fascinating. It's learning you know, what does my guests, my community want to serve, right? What are they coming here? Certainly I want to introduce you to a new cuisine, but I know I want to keep you coming for that great flavor that you love here at Dookie. So it's that marriage, that balance of, here's a little something new, but here's that classic that I know you love. You mentioned that you grew up cooking with your grandmother. What are some 
cooking memories you have of being alongside her here in the kitchen before the Cordon Bleu? Oh, man, so many. So how I got my start in the kitchen as a young kid was I started dishwashing, right? And she has a three-compartment sink right in her own kitchen. And, oh, those yeah. pots better oh, shine, my, they huh? They better shine. That was my first <laughs> lesson learned. I, I, I thought I cleaned the pot as well as I could. Apparently I didn't because I didn't get all the black spots off the bottom, bottom of the pot that touches the flame. So you had to get the uh, Brillo pad and all this stuff and scrub it, and they better shine to a T. Uh, and those pots still shining, and they're much older than me. Uh, and they will never not shine because I'm sure she'll come and tell me something in my sleep. But that, that's how it started, right? I was the almost the errand guy. Go get me another onion duck. Go get me a bell pepper. Get me this. Get me that. And then I would sit at the stove and just watch her. You're right. She's making stewed chicken, and I'm watching, and I'm tasting the gravy. And then I go back home, and I try to recreate the same stewed chicken for my mama, and I probably failed 30 times over. But what I would do is take that gravy and that chicken and bring it to the restaurant the next day. And I said, Grandmother, I'm off. What is it? And her palate was amazing. She would say, oh, you missed this. You missed that. Add a little bit more of this. And I would do it again and do it again. And then finally, you just catch on. And you're like, I got it. Next dish. Let's do gumbo. Do it again. What am I missing? How am I doing it? Did I not? Did I overcook the root? Not cook it long enough? What is this, that? And she was able to guide you at no matter what stage you were in to correct it and say, no, you should have did this, this, that, and the other. And so that's how I really learned was watching her at the stove, tasting, going home, trying to recreate it, bringing it back for her to pick it apart where I failed, and she would correct it. And now it's just it's like clockwork now. It's how did this TV series come to be? What's coming next on TV for us all? Yes. So the Dookie Chase Kitchen, Liz Legacy, came to be just sitting down with a few folks at WYES and really just brainstorming, right, the, what we wanted to do. And, and the love that I have for it, it, it really tells our story, but through food. Right. There's been a few documentaries on my grandmother and the family that told the story of what they did. Uh, but now we get to say that and we get to put it through the food era. Right. It starts with the po' boys because the sandwich shop and then it brings you into this era and it brings you into the next Creole cuisine era and all these different recipes that flow through the evolution of where we are today. You know, that's 81 years of recipes in different marks, and you can see that growth coming through on this TV show. It's, it's really fantastic, and it really brings me back in those stories to say, wow, look at this. Do you ever feel like you hear your grandmother whispering something in your ear? Oh, every day. Every day. Uh, every day she's in this restaurant speaking to us, uh, even if we missed up you'll hear a spoon drop off the wall and you're like, mm, I know who that is. Or you'll hear, you know, the pot clang on this side just out the blue and you say, all right, all right, grandmother, what, what's going on? What, what am I missing? What I need to do? Same with my grandfather, you know, you definitely uh, hear the energy. And, and I ask for it. When I come in this restaurant, I always speak to them, you know, especially on Fridays and Saturdays when we are really, really busy. I say, grandmother, I'm going to need your help today. Grandfather, I need your help. Let's get through it. I need the, I need the extra man on this team to push through. So I always uh, talk to them, and, and they always got my back. Thank you. 
That was Edgar Duke Chase IV, executive chef of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Don't miss the Chase family's first cooking show, premiering Saturday, April 29th. Produced locally on WYES-TV, the Dookie Chase Kitchen, Leah's Legacy, can be seen on PBS affiliates across the country. Check with your local station for airtimes. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of episodes are available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, and the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. And from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, writer Becky Reitz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. (laughs) 